Welcome to the Reinventing Finance podcast hosted by Tom van der Lube and Nicolaus Sür. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in the developments of the InsurTech, insurance, fintech and finance market. Join us as we discover what some of the current industry leaders and decision makers are doing, the lessons they have learned, the main challenges and opportunities they identify and how they see the current status of the insurance and finance industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Reinventing Finance. Um, today, we're super excited to um, have JC from Cover, um, co-founder of Cover with us. Um, JC, why don't you briefly introduce yourself and um, tell us um, what you guys do at, at, at Cover and who you are? Okay. Hello, Niklas. Hello, um, Tom. Very happy to be here. And um and happy to, to introduce myself. So I'm JC, the co-founder of Cover. Cover is a Belgium insure tech. Uh, we'll come back to the model. Um, I did my whole career in private equity before that, half in Europe and half in Hong Kong. And then in 2016, uh, end of 2015, we saw the opportunity in insure tech with Quentin, my fellow co-founder, and we started uh, Cover in 2016. Um, Maybe I can tell something about Cover just to give a brief introduction. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So Cover is a Belgium insure tech. We're based in Brussels. We're today 65 people. We're going to grow considerably this year. Um, we cover over a million persons, uh, over 33 countries in Europe for the moment. Uh, we'll try to go global this year and do much more countries outside Europe also. Uh, we count as flagship clients, I would say, uh, Revolut uh, that we do in the whole of Europe, Deliveroo in the whole of Europe, Walt, uh, and so forth and so on. And there's some nice additional names that I cannot say yet, but that are in implementation. Um, so what's the business model? And what we always said at Cover, and that's what we did, is that We've rebuilt from scratch a digital native insurance company without the balance sheets. So what does that mean? Is that it's the MGA models mm -hmm. for people that know InsureTech. But what does it really mean is that we will do everything an insurer does except for carrying the insurance risk. So we built the insurance product ourselves. So all the legal infrastructure, all the regulatory infrastructure around an insurance product sits with us. We obviously built the tech ourselves, and it's a kind of internal SaaS platform. It's um, um, an open API first insurance with white label frontends, but we handle in our backend directly all the complexities of doing pan-European and tomorrow, I hope, global insurance. Uh, we can launch any uh, insurance product uh, non-live in a matter of days or weeks, depending on the complexity of the product. So product with us, tech with us, and then very important also, operations with us, meaning all the life cycle of a contract and more and more, and I think this year we'll, we'll do it uh, at 90%, all the claims handling. And there we have 95% customer satisfaction rate. We do this centrally from Brussels for all the European countries. Uh, we do this as digitally as possible, but obviously you can contact us directly. So product, tech, and operations slash claims with us. The only thing we, we don't do is carry the insurance risk. And so there we are connected to 
more than 10 insurers and reinsurers that basically provide us the regulatory capital and provide us their balance sheet to take on the risks themselves. Um, the, the great thing of this model is that it's relatively flexible. We do all the, what we call the complex parts, eh? which is the tech, the product, the operations, and then the insurer is just a balance sheet. You have to understand insurer for us is basically a commodity. Okay? And they give us their, their licensing and their uh, uh, underwriting capabilities. Mm -hmm. And we work then hand in hand uh, with the insurer. And then we go and distribute that in the market. And we have several business models on how to embed or cross-sell, upsell digital insurance there. And um, thank you. Thank you very much. It, just a couple of uh, points to kind of dig in. Um, I'd from your district, I think your, your, your distribution point is, uh, you know, you would call it now embedded insurance, I believe, you know, you be with big partners who have access to customers. And the model is the insurer gives you a commission. Um, you know, you don't, probably don't have to share it, but I'd imagine 30 to 40% for doing all of this work, and then you're passing on um, some portion depending on the relationship to the distributor is that a fair and then maybe some profit share and some you know that's is that the business model yeah okay so to understand that um, I still need to explain how we distribute those products so basically we really created a machine yeah? and the machine is ready and is to take on any deals now and that's really the legal infrastructure the insurance infrastructure the tech infrastructure the operational infrastructure that's all in place now to do all those deals how how do we now use this machine to bring it to market um, we have two business models there either it's embedded b2b we call mm -hmm. it and that's typically delivery world uh, uh, even uh, revolut that's when typically delivery goes and pays an insurance for all their riders so they embed insurance for all their riders but they pay it for all their riders. Okay, right? got it. And so it's a B2B contract with us and Deliveroo, okay? With a strong tech integration, obviously. And then we do that on a pan-European scale. Um, there, how the model works is obviously because Deliveroo is paying, they don't take a commission. We sure. take, um, we don't really take it, call it a commission because it's more the administrative premium part. Sure. You have the technical premium, administrative premium, and then the commission. Here, there is no commission in a certain way. It's the administrative part for cover, and then the technical premium with the insurer. There might be a profit share agreement there. Mm -hmm. So that's one model, embedded B2B. Second model is embedded B2B2C. So we don't do D2C or B2C. We do B2B2C. Um, and there, typically, we build an insurance product that works for the whole of Europe directly. So as you know, insurance, and that's one of the fundamental problems that we address, is completely local. Every insurance company has nothing, and I'm sure, Nicholas, you, you've seen that through your contacts, but if you take Allianz, Allianz is basically a financial holding in Munich, holding Allianz Brussels, Allianz Amsterdam, Allianz Paris, but Allianz Paris and Allianz Brussels, they don't talk to each other. They're completely separate companies completely separate it's only the, the logo on the door that is the same and, and even the ceos they don't talk to each other they, may, they maybe meet each other once at the dinner a year at the dinner party in munich that's that's how insurance companies are structured and that's why it's very difficult to do pan-european or global solutions because they're so locally structured um, and there in b2b2c 
we have typically a product that works really well now is bike and e-bike, small vertical. But if you do that on a pan-European scale, it's directly a very big market. Um, and there, the beauty is any merchant can take the API, insert the API, one-click button, and he can start cost-selling insurance. Mm -hmm. But the beauty is with one tech integration, he can start upselling cost-selling insurance, but he gets the full insurance infrastructure for the whole of Europe. Meaning the API connection, once somebody clicks on the button saying, I want insurance, right? Well, that will call my backend and our backend will handle all the complexities of doing pan-European insurance, meaning the pricing, the underwriting, the regulatory, the commission, the taxes, all the boring stuff you never want to do in your life will be handled by our backend and will shoot back a German contract, a UK contract, a Lithuanian contract. Yeah. And then on top of that, we do the, uh, the servicing of those contracts, hence the 95% because we touch the final customer of our partner. Uh, and there, obviously, our partner, the bike shop, let's say, will get a commission, will get, will get uh, the administrative premium and then the technical premium for the insurer. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's, that's super interesting. And I, I, can, I can fully relate to how difficult it is to create pan-European. And, you know, you didn't even mention, you know, Allianz. France, there's, you know, you have PNC, you have health, you have yeah. assistance, and, um, you know, it's basically they're structured as separate, sometimes from a regulatory perspective, yeah. also required as separate um, profit and loss, you know, P&Ls. Um, yeah. And so um, it's it's quite hard to kind of make those things uh, work. And, and there are some verticals where you see pan-European aggregation, I'd say, you know, travel, global automotive, um, but then it breaks down into local motor policies <laughs> again. Um, but I can fully relate to how that aggregation and then also doing the operations and the administrative. So you have truly one face to the customer yep. is um, a real complexity reducer for um, your partners who at the end of the day see insurance, I'd imagine as a benefit to drive their yes. business or monetization, but not something they want to sleep a night over, you know? No. Lose, sleep, lose their sleep over. No, no. <laughs> and we really want to be the one-stop shop for all our partners. Got it. And who, who are our partners? It's all the players of the new economy, okay? So the vision of Cover is to go and plug all the digital platforms and give them access to pan-European slash global embedded insurance uh, or uh, additional monetization uh, capabilities. But what you have to understand is all those new players, all those tech players, by nature, they have no borders, by nature. Because if you're tech, obviously you have no borders, but even if you're a more physical business as Deliveroo, you're VC funded. And so they will expect you to do a land grab directly. Yeah. And so those people need a kind of global uh, insurance solution and this is what we give them uh, via our APIs uh, uh, as smoothly as possible. Got it, got it. Um, I, I'd say um, out, out of interest to you because you've mentioned it yourself um, and you obviously don't have to share any, any data but from the outside in I felt that a lot of the embedded insurance you know, the verticals, you have digital platforms um, or you have, you know, similar to your vertical, you have gig economy, you have fintech, um, yeah. or you even have, um, you know, insure tech similar 
to yourself that a lot of the embedded insurance is also a market being accelerated massively by the VC interest in these platforms and the need to scale quicker than you would otherwise have? Would you say that is a fair assessment or is it you know, just a side effect of where you see your customers grow and demand um, you provide your services? <laughs> it's a good time to market for us. I'll say it like that. Okay. Uh, I'll put it like that. Uh, I think it's um, a catalyst for sure. Yep. Um, all those new businesses heavily funded. Uh, by VC money. It's clearly a, a catalyst, but it shows the way, it pioneers the way for where all the others will go. The more traditional businesses today that are digitalizing, it takes a bit more time, but they'll get there. The good ones will get there at one point. And they will need also all the digital insurance solutions at one point, where as of today, it's still done locally, right? Yeah. Are you taking... We, we are not in the motor space, but it's easy to understand. We don't do motor. But um, motor has always been done country by country. And you go to this, your sales dealer, you sell it. And then the country had uh, uh, motor insurance in place, right? Uh, locally. But as all those guys, all, all the OEM manufacturers go online, they have one platform for Europe. Okay, and then at that point, the whole uh, paradigm changes, and, yeah. and we could put ourselves. That's a, that's an easy example for motor. We don't do motor as of now, but you you see those things are happening everywhere in more traditional parts of the economy. But for the moment, at Cover, we focus on the digital platforms. Got it. Got it. No, and I think, um, and I think you've mentioned it in the side sentence. It's this: if you have a strong pressure of time to market of time windows of opportunities. I think it, it creates a real prisma around what's relevant, how to launch, how to think about products um, that if you don't kind of put the pressure on, you'll never, you'll never do it like that. Because <laughs> I'd imagine there's a few iterations that you've gone through as well, you know, if you're launching very fast, um, but that creates, um, you know, a, I think the true competitive advantage down the line. Yeah, and, and it's an interesting part because we have two parts of the business. When it's B2B2C, it resembles a SaaS model. Eh? Mm -hmm. It's one modular product and you go to your client, kind of McDonald's menu, he takes what he wants, but it's the same API. And then it's like you can industrialize the sales, right? That's the B2B2C part of the business. On the B2B embedded part, there, it's more in the beginning a kind of solution sale because every business model is different, every vertical is different. But what we've seen at Cover is that once you've cracked the vertical, you've cracked the gig economy, you understand this business model really well, or you crack the fintechs with uh, the, um, Revolut and so forth. And there, we built like a cookbook of 100 pages or something with everything that is possible to be done. Uh, with the relevant insurance products and how to integrate them and how to add the most value to your customer base for that, right? Or monetizing possibilities. And then this solution sales becomes much more faster because mm -hmm. you, you've, but in B2B, you have to crack a vertical, understand the business model, and then you can roll out uh, to the different players. Absolutely, because then you're not, you know, in the beginning, you're asking a lot of questions and then you, you know, then you flip it around and you're providing 
solutions and they might be adjusted and think it, but it obviously speeds up the process because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. 100%. So, so I think one um, on, on that aspect, because um, I think it's really interesting, um, you know, when you're kind of um, in that space. So let's take embedded insurance. And okay. I'd, I'd say there's, um, interestingly enough, I'd say there's probably three, well, now let's say maybe four market participants. You okay. have your classical affinity type players, you know, Cardiff on certain verticals, AXA partner, Europe assistance, you know, others who are, who come from a B2B angle, who are great at, you know, selling products probably on the commercial, would be in a traditional affinity type partners you'd see yep. in retail travel, motor, you know. Um, I then say you have um, kind of new entrants um, with the digital subject on an MGA model yourself until recently, someone like Zigo. Mm -hmm. um, they're now switching yeah. to become a full stack carrier. You have neo carriers like Wacom yeah. or formerly La Parisienne, Element. Um, in Germany, maybe Neo, Neo Digital is also going a little bit in that, in that space. And then you have even reinsurers who are actually in the same category, but someone like IPTQ, you know, placing some considerable bets. It's just from an insurance point of view, you're kind of going, you know, I have my own competitive set. I have these MGAs who are my partners, but also my competitors. And I even have my reinsurers, you know, kind of jumping the gun on this. Um, yeah. Out of interest from, and I don't think we need to be, you know, have a me-see chart about this, but um, where do you see the lines blur between competition and cooperation, um, especially from your view? And maybe what do you think are the advantages of the MGA model for the full stack model? Because we're seeing a couple of players, um, predominantly Zigo, but also get safe within a different model, but also kind of going to the full stack model. And you've obviously thought this through and would love to get your two cents on both. Yes, sure. Um, if I start for the insurtech side on the uh, MGA versus full stack Please. mode, yeah. Uh, it depends on what you do, okay? <laughs> um, we think that for most uh, insure text, it doesn't make any sense to have a balance sheet. And it's actually a, a huge mistake to do that. Uh, why? Because it ties up a lot of capital. Okay. So, well, if you're able to raise huge amounts and for regulatory, why not? But it ties up a lot of capital. Uh, it gives you a schizophrenic balance sheet on your side, capital structure, because on one side, the front side of the business has to do 10x. And then the regulatory side of the business, if you have 5% a year, that's very good. So, you know, it's like a schizophrenic yeah. capital structure that you put inside yourself, inside your company, which is never good, I think, at least in the medium to long term. Um, and on top of that, it's, uh, it's very, very heavy uh, on the regulation side. And so it blocks you from, from going fast. So why not to do to go to full stack especially i think if you take one product that you master very well but we do so many different products i don't see why we would have a balance sheet but um so why do they do it because most of them don't have a single product is it 
Is it the gross written premium multiple? Is it investor? Because why? Because they're really smart people who understand all of this. No, I know, I know. So maybe it's me that doesn't understand. <laughs> I mean, it's it. both of us. Maybe you know, we're <laughs> outside of the party. I don't know, but I think I think there's there's several elements here. Um, one element is on the valuation side is that if you become full stack, you can basically start saying that the full G GWP is yours. And so you might have a higher valuation later because you put a multiple on the full GWP instead of the commission or the administrative cost. Debatable on how exact that is on valuation, but I think that's one element. Second element is an element of um, showing ambitions to VCs. You know, we're going to be the first new uh, insurance company in Germany since the Second World War, let's say. Okay. <laughs> very, very ambitious target. Um, but I think we, we, we thought a lot about this. Okay. And we've done the full analysis, at least for our business model. For cover, it doesn't make sense as of today. Uh, there's more than enough balance sheets around for you to, to do that. Uh, if you manage to convince the balance sheets to, to work with you. And that's a big problem that many insurtechs have. Fortunately, at Cover, we don't have that problem as of today. Um, so you have the MGA models like we, okay? Um, and then the big thing to crack is, is can you sign insurers, okay? Can you get their trust? We managed, I think, relatively well to do it as of today. Uh, and it's there, it's important to have many different ones because if you have only one or even two if they cut your line your business is dead the next day okay so you you have to have some redundancy redundancy built in there um, on the full stack i think nobody's really full stack everybody works with half a mga model half full stack you know you, you they still do part of, on their balance sheet and part uh, well they call it sheet. fronting but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah <laughs> on the new balance sheets eh, that you see emerging um, element typically but you have some in France uh, also say nah and so forth uh, I think there's a huge market there uh, that is completely overlooked uh, I think the mistake most of those balance sheets do for the moment or where why we do not really work with them today is that they are still local so like if you take most of those new balance sheets, they take their license in Germany, in France, and so forth. Uh, whereas if you really want to become the agile balance sheet of the new economy, you should build one that goes through all the countries directly and with a very agile pace, allows everybody to go and plug uh, their insurance capacity on the European level there. So th that's where... Mm -hmm. I see a limitation in, in, in the business models around the new balance sheets around. Uh, Wacam is a bit that new balance sheet that passported everywhere in many countries. You have others also. And then what's also interesting to see is indeed the reinsurers. Uh, what did you say? Jumping in the gun? Or what is the, the I mean, they, they at least, you know, I think it's interesting both Munich Re and, and now Swiss Re are both very active in yeah. funding. Yeah. and providing capacity to MGAs. Um, I think um, Swiss Re, you know, big shareholder of Wacom, um, 
created IPTQ. Um, so there seemed to be some form of, let's just say, anticipation um, and around, you know, embedded insurance, the MGA model, um, you know, Swiss Read. I don't think this is good to IPTQ creates a joint venture with Movings. So it's, it's, there's a lot of activity in this space. Um, and I'd say from an insurance point of view, it just seems to be spinning faster and faster. Yeah. And I think the reinsurance companies, it makes a lot of sense for them to look uh, very closely at the old and new MGA models. Because when you're a reinsurance company, you look at your global or at least pan-European portfolio of primary insurers a bit everywhere across Europe, okay? And, and where you give, um, where you have those different kinds of reinsurance treaties. So you have to understand that from a reinsurance point of view, the insurers are their brokers, okay? Yeah. That's, that's basically how you can look at it. Yeah? And then they have somebody else that sells the contract. And they understand extremely well that the fact that it's extremely local, all their brokers are local, all their insurers are local, uh, that the, the cost structure is extremely high and the flexibility extremely low. And so there is a big, I think, uh, I'm not in those conversations really, but from what I, I see or feel from the market, there's a real uh, questioning from their side from are we not better to work with you know, digital MGAs directly, have just a front-end partner in the beginning, and we fund those guys because you can do it more efficiently at scale? So I think, um, and I you know, don't do this, don't do three of those every day, but I've had a few of these conversations. And I think, and that's also where I wanted to segue, I think there is an appreciation of Unless you do it, you don't truly understand it. I think that is a bit, it's a lot about learning. I don't think that, um, you know, you know, the, I, I don't know where, how the board of Swiss Re is structured, right? But I thought there's different incentives, et cetera. But what they say is, listen, there is a big trend. And we believe that um, we should not only be exposed through our primary carriers and their arguably slow level of digital transformation to, even be helpful to them. So what we want to do is we want to understand where this market is going. We want to drive this change. We want to understand it. And then we can be a more, less commoditized reinsurance capacity because I can actually now help you in product design and distribution because you know, you've mentioned it yourself. You don't, product, the, the way of creating a product changes fundamentally, you know, use like, where do you approach this? What data do you have? What type of customers? And then you build the product back. And I think that that is one of the primary um, incentives for, for reinsurers to, to just understand it better. Um, it's the same reason why primary insurers are starting Greenfield MGAs. They just want to, I think, understand these things better. And I think there's a realization that there is a whole level of realization outside of uh, Microsoft Office. <laughs> well, that, it's interesting what you said. I haven't used that for, for quite some time, but it's exactly that. One department that never existed ever in an insurance company is the R&D department. Yeah. It's something that just do doesn't exist. Okay, And so now, and it's since a couple of years now that you see it, indeed they go and test the MGA models, they test different stuff, 
and you can you can actually see it for the moment more like an R&D play from their side not to miss out on opportunities than anything else and then uh, out of the R&D we'll see what comes out but I think the MGA will be well placed oh yeah, but absolutely but I think the main problem is that uh, this old industries they only benchmark internally so an R&D is a very good example so if you would do an overview of different industries and you would then let's say pharmacy or pharmaceutical companies, they have a high percentage on R&D because they, from the nature of the business, they know that the medicine has a certain lifetime and then it finishes and then others are also allowed to produce the stuff. Yep. And, and this, this creates a kind of natural need for urgency to always have a certain pipeline and if you talk about pharmaceutical companies you talk about which which kind of products do you have in the pipeline in which stage are they uh, stage one two or three what does the fsa or the the the, the re yep. uh, regulatory board in the us says about certain uh, stuff you have in the pipeline and this and that's the problem and and if you just see the the insurtech or the, the insurance business, and their R&D is very very good uh, example, how is it possible you don't have R&D? If yeah. you compare it with all the other branches, and if you then see the names of the companies they started with, IPTQ, and so, I mean, you, you even can't write or pronounce those companies. They don't want to say, this is Swiss Re InsurTech, or, or that you understand what it is. And then they wait a long time, and then at a certain at a certain moment they are too late, and then the market is disrupted, and then the private equity companies they they invest in it, and 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 they don't have people at the top who have disrupted industries themselves. So, the example I like a lot is Mark Zuckerberg is willing to pay, I don't know what amount of money for WhatsApp, because he realizes that ten or twenty people could disrupt his billion business. Facebook company. Yep. And and I think that's lacking. And yeah, I 100% agree with that. But it's, again, we are, let's say, the insurtech world, we're, let's say, five, six years in. Okay. That's when the movement started. Um, reality, we're five, six years in. How much percentage of the premium of the full insurance industry we as insurtechs do? I don't know if we get. Well, divided by five trillion. No, no, but what, what I want to say there is disruption will come in the insurance industry, but it will be much slower. Okay, it will it will take pace and it will go very fast, and there's lots of things we can do. It will but it will be slower than other industries, I think, because there's so much established business anyway. That, it's always uh, the same. It's, it's Clayton Christopson, yeah. Innovators Dilemma. So it's always the same. In the beginning, there's a period of time where they say, okay, that could disrupt, then nothing happens. And then everybody says, I told you nothing is going to happen. And then it comes much faster in the second part. It's always, I, I would it's, predict it's, that, yes. It's always, it's, always, it's always the same. So... When I saw your presentation at the DIA a couple of years ago, 2017, you were just you were just uh, explaining on 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 uh, in the presentation, and you built I don't know a product in 10 minutes, and then if I would be a CEO of a huge insurance 
company, I would have gone to you and said, okay, just tell me how can I buy your shares? And I'm very curious about, let's say, the lessons learned or what you expect to happen or what did not happen. Because what I see until now is that mainly private equity companies who invest in a lot of different business models, they invest in these insure tech companies. And I don't see that many, let's say, really big, massive investments of of Munich Re and Swiss Re. I just see it. I mean, they're they are trying some, to find some. out a little bit, but I, I, I still, it, it's not, it's not a, let's say, Microsoft buying LinkedIn kind of approach. Yes. Um, <laughs> how do we fare since 2017? Um, the thing is, when we started in InsurTech, uh, back in the beginning of 2016, end of 2015, even the word InsurTech was not coined. It no, was, it was still part of tech versus insurtech. Remember yeah, that it, discussion? That was a yeah. whole. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so even even the name was not coined, and so most of the people uh, like Niklas or myself that started at, at that point, we're a bit pioneers in insurtech. So you know, and at Cover, we've made all the mistakes you can imagine in 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 doing digital insurance. So we had to the. The fundamental vision stayed the same, but the way we got there, we had to pivot several times, obviously, because um, uh, you don't get immediate product market fit. I think that has changed now that we have a real product market fit for our, for our products and services. Um, but it takes time. And, and who is interested by that? Uh, I think the insurance company will be, but are a little bit scared today of the valuations that are set by VCs. And, they are not, and, and the M&A department of an insurance company cannot justify that. So it's difficult to say, right? But what would you do when you would be a CEO of Axel of Allianz? Oh, I never won that job. No, no, that, that's... <laughs> but I'm, I, I, I'm still curious. Because if you compare this, let's say, that's why I took, let's say, Microsoft LinkedIn yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or let's say Facebook, uh, uh, WhatsApp or Google buying YouTube, etc. Or maybe because I, I find it's interesting. I don't think anyone ever taking the job, Tom. Whenever we ask this question, everyone's like, I don't want that job. Um, but let's say, you know, <laughs> let's what say. Would you, what would you advise? Exactly. If this was a friend, right? And, he, you know, he's, they're basically saying, listen. Don't give me the BS. Knowing what you know right now, learning what you've learned, which questions would I have to answer? But how should I, what should I do? You know, which bets should I place, et cetera? What would you advise them knowing what you know? Huh. Super good question. Um, because, okay, put yourself- I mean, buy, in Invest and cover, obviously. You know, that's, you know, that's how you're hedging it. But yeah, aside but from that- we're too expensive for that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Is, is, is there is there is your valuation uh, openly known or? No, 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 no. No, and I'm, I was completely joking. <laughs> no, um, but it could be that it is in TechCrunch. I didn't check it. But... No, no, it's not. Um, I think the the doing there is the digital part, okay? And there on the digital side, you they can build it themselves. I think it's difficult or they can buy a company like yours, Niklaus, or, or, or a cover or part of a WeFox or a part of a Socotra or whatever. You can, you can build tech. It's way complicated than people think uh, because, because, yeah, okay. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do, but there you could do some acquisitions. 
Um, but it's really that the way of looking at the market in a pan-European way or global way, that's the important part. And so it's a continuous fight between the local barons, eh? the local baron of, uh, of Paris, of Brussels, of Amsterdam, of, and so forth, that blocks international business uh, in there. So I would advise to, yes, build a tech themselves or buy some companies and then uh, create a more cross-border entity. So would it be, you know, to paraphrase, I think kind of jumping, I'd, I'd also suggest to basically, if you want to participate in a pan-European digital economy, the first thing you need to do is have a, their own pan-European MGA entity. Yeah. So their own profit-seeking and they can go where they yeah. need to go. And if they yeah. find it's better, you know, powering uh, uh, their agents, etc. But I think the key point is this entity needs to be free to pick who to where to distribute, which products to pick, also whether to buy, build, or partner on the technology. Because I think people totally underestimate what it's required to hire, maintain a tech team, to prioritize a product roadmap that is forever in flux. Because you know, if you're dealing with distribution partners, you don't just build your product out and ship your different versions of your Neo Bank every day. Um, and then be flexible to pick your own capacity or go with someone else. Basically what you've said, you need to have options. And I think you can then decide to roll out a pan-European carrier, but, but to me, that seems to be yeah. one, eh? one of one of the bets they need to place. Yeah, and that's very hard um, because no, but uh, it's, you've seen that in fintech a lot in the beginning. You know, They all wanted to build a Revolut or a Revolut type when Revolut was starting. And so, so all the McKinsey's of the world arrived and said, yes, you have to have a separate entity and people have to put hoodies and it's going to be different and other culture. And they started. But the problem there is that it still, still is from the bank. And so they take one of their very good people inside the company and put it uh, with a hoodie on the head of that that new startup like but the problem is that the dynamics are different because the guy that you put there he's only there for three years to come back to the headquarters at one point and so you will always have politics it's very difficult to 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 make that work what we say on the other hand and i think that's going to become probably one of my biggest distribution channel is to say to all the insurers and reinsurers well you have all your commercial uh, guys into the field and you have all those huge RFPs coming in, well, just partner with Cover to answer the, those RFPs and or, or, or to handle those clients. You give us the capacity, we will do the deal, okay? Yeah. And we will do everything. And maybe you just stay on the technical premium, but at least you've taken those clients and we will handle uh, the deal and the tech uh, for you. So that's, I think, is, is going to be a big trend in the market. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting on on how you'll, um, you know, the the different service verticals that you've mentioned, you know, admin, distribution, support, claims handling, balance sheet, risk, etc. I think these services will be somewhat um, created as services, um, and sometimes, you know, you'll use you'll fully use the outsourcing, you know, on on something like that, and sometimes you'll you'll just use parts of it, and I think. It's something um, that's going to be very interesting on how 
it's going to be way more intertwined than it looks from, you know, shouldn't these be your competitors? And you say, yeah, but in order to make the deal, it would have been too costly to set everything up. So we decided to partner on that one. <laughs> and that's also, I have trouble explaining that to, to some people, but it's inherent to the insurance industry that you work with different people, right? That you're not really always, you know, it's not AXA against Alliance, machin. That's not how it works. AXA and Alliance, they use different MGAs. Uh, AXA and Alliance, they use for some deals the same MGA. So some others, they compete on the deals. It's the nature of the industry. And it's something that is completely accepted. It's the way business is done. And there's no problem that you go and seek another balance sheet for that one. If I can't do it, it's the nature of the industry. And, and that's a very different dynamic than than yeah, nearly any other industry where you, you, you would put exclusivity clauses and stuff like that in every contract. I think, I think for better or worse, it has to do with insurance being a relationship business and you're playing game theory an unlimited amount of time. It's very less so transactional. And so anyone who runs a risk book knows that, you know, you, if, you're, if you're underwriting tends to go you know south or north depending on on how you want to calculate it it's probably good to have a relationship with someone for an extended period of time and delivering profits over time you know when you go north of 100 percent um then just looking at it from a transactional point of view and i think that's um that's the beauty of of being part of that network it's also the flip side, Tom, what you've mentioned, it's why it's so much homegrown executives within that because of these relationships. So it has a flip side, but I find it's way more, you know, co what is it, cooperative um, than makes it look from the outside. Yeah, true, true. Um, maybe just conscious of, conscious of time and, you know, just, yeah, I told you we're probably not going to make it at 30 minutes and we didn't again, but... But kind of two things. Um, Go ahead. First question. Um, if you were to start cover today, right? Knowing what you know, the market being what it is today, would you do it again? Would you have a variation? You know, kind of... How would that look like? Or would you even... I mean, I have to say, I mean, I'm... I would pull a blank. I'm, I'm, I'm so invested in what I'm doing if I cannot do the same thing because I obviously believe so much in it. I, I'd, I'd restart, right? Just with way more funding and, and much faster. Um, but, but what about you? Um, have you ever thought about it? Oh, uh, I would redo it 10 times for sure. Uh, that's no question about that. I mean, it's the best decision ever. The biggest roller coaster ride that you can imagine, also, but that's every entrepreneur, right? Um, yes, and and obviously, there's so many things that we could have done better. Uh, I think we didn't do uh, because first time entrepreneur, first time um, in a completely pioneer market with no metrics, you know. If you open a SaaS model today, there is a whole SaaS industry with all the metrics, right? Here, it's the metrics of, of a real distribution insurance track, the way we do it in B2B, haven't even set, been set yet. So there's a, all this pioneering work. So obviously, there's tons of things we could have done faster. Uh, but I'm happy where we stand today after five years. 
And um, maybe so. So, what's there to expect in the next few months? You've said there's going to be significant growth um, in the next few months. Um, that alludes to something, obviously. <laughs> but yeah. um, anything to expect in the next few months? Yeah, let's say before um, uh, H2, uh, end of H2, we're going to announce some some quite nice clients. Uh, so that's cool with nice, uh, you know, cross-border programs and stuff like that. Uh, so that's a big one. And then we, we're going to scale up a bit the company also. So we'll hire quite a bit of profiles in the next, uh, in the next months. Awesome. Cool. Tom, any, any further questions on your part? <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious how you see in the long run, let's say the market, because I mean, there was this announcement of Next and Amazon, for an example. You have said something about having the balance sheet yourself, eh? like lemonades, etc. Doing. What's your take on, uh, on 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 that? Because it, let's say this whole insure tech is a little bit comparable with let's say the whole payments, where let's say after ten years, it's pretty clear how how the market looks like with Adyen and Stripe and Klarna, etc. So, how do you think it will end? I think that. Anything that can be commoditized in, insur in insurance will be commoditized and digitalized and done in a pan-European level, okay? So that's mainly all the PNC products and the mortgage products, which are life products, but let's say, let's put it in the PNC. Um, there will still be big books uh, with the traditional insurers, for sure, in the next 10 years, uh, because if you do large corporates and so forth, it's more... You can't really come. The digital solution has less value because you, it's it's really an, an art per contract. Um, I think all the SME insurers will go to the insurtechs also. So the whole PNC, either uh, uh, direct to consumer or SME, will go to the insurtech industry, and more and more you will have that embedded team. Okay, and the real thing of embedded insurance, and that's really important to understand, is Traditionally, you buy a product and then you buy a financial product next to it. So you buy a car and you buy a, a financial product that protects the car with it, the insurance next to it. Embedded insurance is about seamlessly integrating insurance to that product or service directly. And so that when you buy it, well, insurance is already there. It's obvious. That's where the market is going. And that's where we're working on. Yeah, and I think it's quite interesting when you said, you know, it's going to ensure techs and, you know, I think embedded can be in both ends, you know, it can be even embedded in the insurer operations and they'll, you know, they don't even know that it's being managed or TPA or whatever, you know, contract by your machine, because um, that's actually something that insurers are quite happy to do. So, you know, it's to have done so in the past also. Yep. Um, awesome. Cool. Uh, JC, thank you so much. Um, thank you. It was really good talking to you again. And um, I, you know, I think I speak for Tom and myself. We wish you all the best in the next couple of months. We are, we're looking for, for the headlines. Um, and I personally am really looking forward to, you know, meeting you back uh, uh, same, you know, same. face to face on same, same. conferences um, start popping up. But in the meantime, you know, Stay, stay healthy, stay frisky. <laughs> you know, it's really good talking to you. Same for you guys. Thank you, Nicholas, and thank you, Tom. Uh, it was a pleasure. Much.
and uh, see you at one of the next conferences indeed cheers right. thank you so Bye. much Bye -bye.